Oh, that was a good song. That really, really sets the tone for what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. Um, has to do with fasting, and fasting is a way of doing just exactly what that song said, letting God be our delight, really entering into that. So thanks for praying for us. Uh, Caleb, and I'm going to pray one more time. Hey, I'm just, like Jack just said, it's all share, it's all play. I'm, I'm not the pastor, I'm just one of the ones sitting in the pew who's sharing here this morning, so... I need God. Let's pray. God, we all need you, but I need you right now. I need you to bring it across, Lord. I need you to speak to our hearts. I need you to make that real, what we were just singing, that we can find you in that kind of a, a way of you being our delight. So speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week was a great service, praying together. Thank you, Garrett and Joy, for doing that. That was... Uh, that was really good. We're continuing on today in that study on the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're saying today builds on what Jesus had just said, what we studied and did last week on prayer. And week before that was giving to the needy. And I started that one by saying that Jesus here in chapter 6 of Matthew is talking about practicing our righteousness. And remember that righteousness is, the way I defined it anyway, trying to make it simple, being and doing what is right according to God's standards. The being and the doing both have to go together. The Pharisees had it. They were doing all kinds of stuff, but they didn't have it in their hearts. So Jesus is teaching here on these three things. First, he taught about giving to the needy. Then last week we looked at prayer, praying, and this week, he carries it on to fasting. So our text today is Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Let's turn there and read that together. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy. There's a word for you, gloomy. Don't use that one much, do we? Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So first of all, as he's been doing at each of the other sections, the Lord starts out by telling us the wrong way to practice our righteousness. We already saw the wrong, wrong way is to do it out of our own efforts. That's called self-righteousness, and that we already saw a couple weeks ago is nothing but filthy rags in God's sight. We're not doing that here. This is where we've received the righteousness of Christ, and now living out of that, we can do these things that actually please God, but we can still do it the wrong way if we're doing it to be seen of men. Jesus says the wrong way is to be seen by men. He talks about the people here, the hypocrites, said they would even put things on their faces, maybe smear mud or ashes or something on their face to make their face look all disfigured. Sometimes they weren't even recognizable. And that was fasting. That was fasting to be seen of men. 
not the fasting that is what we're talking about today, what Jesus wanted us to see, that fasting that will draw us into what we were just singing about, finding God as our delight. The right way to take what he said here and put it into today's terms, take a shower, put on some deodorant, go ahead and dress, clean clothes, you know, same as normal. You don't have to do anything different. They were sometimes dressing in clothes that people could say, oh, he's fasting, you know. Ah, he must be really a religious person because look at him. No, Jesus says that isn't what it is. That's just coming from the flesh. That's coming from the outside. That isn't from the heart. So Jesus says with a right heart attitude, we can go ahead and do this act of righteousness in a way that will be pleasing to him. So I put up here as a a principle that I drew out of that scripture. The principle is to practice our righteousness. That's what Jesus said. That's what we're doing. Okay, so Jesus was talking to the people in his day. There were people then that fasted. You read about it in the Old Testament, right? Over and over we read about fasting. So what is fasting? Normal fast is drinking water, not eating food. There are a lot of other ways to fast, but when the Bible talks about fasting, that's normally what it's talking about. Sometimes it'll talk about an absolute fast. That's what Moses did when he went up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. He went for 40 days without eating or drinking. Obviously, you can't do that unless God is sustaining him, and God did. And Esther, in the book of Esther, we read there where she the nation was facing extermination there in Persia, and she called for a fast, three days without eating or drinking. And that's the way they fasted, to get hold of God and to get their request out to God. But normally, normal fasting is going without eating and just drinking. And some people practice a partial fast. And a partial fast can be anything that between you and the Lord you feel is something you want to do to set something aside for a period of time as a means of drawing near to God. Fasting is all about drawing near to God. Drawing near to God by setting something aside so that what's in our heart can really express itself a lot better. So a partial fast, without getting into all the different ways, some people fast from things, from using their, their devices, or for fast from eating sweets or something like that. Some people fast by just doing one meal a day or things like that. It it can go all sorts of different ways. That doesn't mean it's less effective or less acceptable to God. It's whatever he leads you to do. All fasting should start there in God speaking to us and laying a burden on our heart, a burden to get to know him better, a burden in prayer for somebody or for something. So Jesus is talking to people of his day. They fasted, but is it really for us today? Well, let's look at a couple of passages. Matthew 9, 14 and 15. A little bit further over, we'll probably get to this passage around June or something, but I'm going to jump ahead. In Matthew 9, 14 and 15, it says, The disciples of John came to Jesus, and they were saying to him, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So Jesus answered them. He said, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? 
the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And that was his answer for why his disciples didn't fast. He was saying, I'm the bridegroom. As long as I'm with them, it's a time for celebration. It's a time for eating and feasting, like if we were at the reception of a wedding. And he says, I'm going to be going away. And when I go away, then will be the time to fast. Oh, wait a minute. After he went away, that would be us, wouldn't it? After he went away, he's saying, then they will fast. Okay, so pull the principle out of it. And what does it say? It says, we fast, as Jesus said here, because we're longing for him. He's been taken away, and we're longing for his presence. We're longing for his return. Let's look at another scripture over in Acts 13. This is after the gospel had gone to the Jews, and now it's starting to go out to the Gentiles. And we find here at a, a church in Antioch that the disciples were there praying, worshiping, and fasting. Acts 13, up some one page over. Acts 13, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All of these people together were doing what? They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And that's when the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. This is the Saul that's going to become known as Paul, the Apostle Paul, for the work to which I have called them. So the key to understanding this, I think, is in one word. Right there where it says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And when I looked that up, I found out that's past, past tense. The Holy Spirit already had spoken. He already had called them to this work. And now they were fasting and praying and waiting. I think they were waiting for further guidance. So they were fasting and praying on the basis of what the Spirit had already said, saying, okay, show us, show us the next step. So the principle that I pulled out of that is that they were fasting, looking for, and waiting for additional guidance. I just put the one word up there, guidance. Now if we go on reading in verse 3, of chapter 13 it says then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off they were fasting and worshiping and then when the Holy Spirit spoke they didn't quit they went back to the fasting and praying as they were looking for the Lord to show them the next step and they were sending out these missionaries starting a new ministry that was the whole beginning of missions going out around the world. And they were fasting and praying as they began, as they started it. We flip over one more page, we find a little later, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had done their circuit, their first missionary journey, establishing churches along the way. Now they turn around and go back, and come back establishing elders in those churches that they had established. And what are they doing? Verse 23 says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. As they were appointing the elders, they were fasting and praying in those churches. Then they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So I put the principle down there as being appointing elders in the churches. So 
let's look back and review what we've seen so far in these passages. Um, in Matthew 16, the passage that we're looking at today, to practice our righteousness. Matthew 9, longing for his presence and for his return. Acts 13, guidance, and then in verse 3, starting a new ministry, pointing of elders. We could go on and spend the rest of the morning here adding to that list. There are a lot of other things that we fast for. We fast in standing to break the powers of darkness, to release the captives. We fast like we were singing this morning, when we want God to be our righteousness, when we want to draw near to him and have that real sense of intimacy with him, we can find that in fasting. Down in uh, the last part of today's passage in Matthew 6, 16 to 18, well, first we're looking at this, the, uh, the words that I've underlined here. Notice all the you, you, you are, you are, are all underlined. Why? If you remember your high school English or your grade school English, they're all singular, second person singular. They're all you individual. Jesus is preaching and teaching to a large crowd of people, but who's he talking to? He's talking to the individual, talking to one person. He's saying when you fast, when you fast individually, fasting is an individual thing. It's between us and the Lord. Remember when we fasted here in Moran Park, that was back in October of 2020, 2020 or 21, 21 I think it was, everything had fallen apart. Britain had just left, we had his farewell, everything was uncertain, the elders called for a time of fasting and prayer. Now, did we go around saying, are you fasting, are you fasting? No. We came down here, we had prayer meetings down here at noon and at night, and people came in and they were praying, looking to the future. We were in that sense of looking for guidance, looking for God to reveal to us what we needed to know to move forward. And we had a whiteboard down there. We were writing on that board as God was revealing things to us. Who was fasting? I don't know. Each one was fasting as the Lord led them to fast, and maybe some weren't, maybe a lot weren't, maybe nobody was, I don't know. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, what am I doing? It's between me and the Lord. And God began to show us, and I feel like that document, A Way Forward, came out of that. As we fasted together, the Lord gave us the next step, just like he did to the church there at Antioch. He gave them part of the story. They got together, they worshiped, they fasted, he gave them the next step. They went out, they planted the churches, they worshiped, or they uh, fasted and prayed. They came back around and established the elders as they were worshiping. That's the way it is. It's one little step at a time. It's between us and the Lord. And even if we're fasting as a group, it's still each one of us individually. That's the way Jesus was putting it. He was talking to them one-on-one, -on -one, saying, you you individually, when you fast. Uh, put up slide 14. Yeah. That your fasting may be in secret, and notice that it's to your Father. Individual, personal, you singular. 
So along with that, I'd like to jump back a little bit to something that we, we were looking at last week back in uh, Matthew 6. Let's go back to Matthew 6, verse 6. Matthew 6, verse 6. I put it up here in the AV, the ASV. And you're probably noticing all of these and thous. Well, I'm going to read it that way. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thine chamber, thy, thine chamber, I got thine chamber, thy chamber, and having shut thy door, pray to thy Father who is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall recompense thee. That's the old English. It makes the distinction and shows us that singular form. It's each of us individually. There's a couple other things in that verse I want us to notice. Notice that it says that you enter into thine inner chamber. Jesus, a lot of our modern translations will say, go into your inner chamber or go into your room or something like that. You might even run into one that says come. Jesus didn't say come or go. He said, enter into thy chamber. And what I love is when you enter into thy chamber, he says, shut thy door. Each of you individually, when you're going to enter into prayer, shut the door. Close out everything else that's going to distract you and disturb you from meeting with your father. Thy father, where are you going to find him? He's in secret. He's already there. As we go into prayer and enter into prayer, we find the Father is there waiting for us to come to him in prayer. We enter into that inner chamber. That inner chamber, some translations say into thy room or something like that. I like this one because that's what it was. In the houses of the day, they would have a room somewhere in the center of the house, especially people that were richer. Maybe the poor didn't have it. And that was like their storeroom, their strong room. Probably was a room that had a lock on the door. Probably was a room that had no windows. And their valuables they would keep in there. That's what Jesus is saying. Go into a place that is separate, secluded, individual. Shut thy door so that you can be alone with the Lord. That's the way he was calling us to pray and teaching people to pray entering into that place. So do we have to do that? It's a wonderful thing to do if you have a spot. Mine is my recliner. I lay down in my recliner and lay back and that's where I meet with the Lord. My wife goes into her bedroom. She's got a chair in there. She's got a little sticky notes all over the place because that's where she spends time in prayer. Okay, so we're out on a busy street. Do we have to say, oh, wait until I get to my private place? It's right there with you if you can shut thy door. You can enter in right where you are. I like what happened to Nehemiah. You can read it in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes in Persia. There's a tongue twister for you. And he heard what had happened back in Jerusalem, how the gates were burned and the walls were torn down, and it was such a burden on his heart. He was fasting and praying and asking God to give him an opportunity to talk to the king. Well, he was the cupbearer. That meant he had to bring in the king's cup. He had to take a drink first to make sure it wasn't poisoned before he gave it to the king. He was going to see the king face to face, and he was preparing himself for it in fasting and prayer. The time came. 
And the king said to him, what is your request? And the first thing Nehemiah says, he says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, just that fast. He was in his prayer closet instantaneously and prayed to the God of heaven, the one who's there in secret, who sees and hears in secret. And when he had said, God, give me the words, or whatever he said, it doesn't tell us what he said. When he got it, he said to the king, and the king granted his request. You can find that prayer closet, that prayer place, wherever you are, wherever you're in need of God. He'll be there ready for you. Good to have a private place. If you're on a busy street, don't worry about it. He's there with you. Just shut the door and enter in. So we're praying along this way, and that kind of an attitude, that kind of a prayer. Imagine that. And you still, you have this burden on your heart. Say you're praying for a, a prodigal son or daughter, or you're praying for guidance, or as we were praying, saying, Lord, we're lost here without you. As John would say, we're toast. John DeHaan, he used to say that all the time. I don't know if you remember John. Without you, God, we're toast. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We need you. And we spent time in fasting and prayer, and God started to guide us. You get into that attitude where you say, there's got to be more. Just praying, not getting through. I remember one time when we were in Africa, we were starting to have people come out as believers. We were working in a solidly Muslim area. There was no church, no believers. We had one man come and gave pretty good testimony that he had received the Lord and so forth. Next thing he started asking for things and things were going along and things were just not adding up. And we were praying and praying and praying about it and we weren't getting the answer. And I talked to my wife, she said, yeah, it was like we were hitting a wall. Just like our prayers were not getting through at all. And that's when we said, okay, let's pray and fast together. We started praying and fasting and in a very short time, the opportunity came for one or I think it was a couple of us to talk to his French employer and everything became clear. He was lying to us. He wasn't even a believer. He was just coming to see what he could get out of it. The answer came when we said, God, just coming to you in prayer isn't getting us the answer. We need more. That's where fasting comes in. Fasting can take our prayer and add the exclamation point to the end. And it can put the O at the beginning so that we cry out, Oh God, I need you now! Exclamation point. That is fasting. Taking our prayers and getting sincere, getting down to brass tacks. My dad used to say, get down to brass tacks. Whatever that meant. Whatever we would say today, yeah, that's it. Get down to business with God. That's where fasting gets in there. Where I am willing to say, God, I need you more than my daily bread. I need Jesus. I need this intimacy with you, Jesus. You're the bread of life. I'll take that in exchange for setting aside my daily bread for a period of time. That's fasting. That's the spirit of fasting. It intensifies our prayer. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a way of twisting God's arm and saying, God, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. I fasted and prayed. Now you've got to do it. No, 
doesn't work like that. It's not the only tool in our toolbox. I like to think of that, that we as Christians, we got a, a toolbox that the Holy Spirit can reach into and say, I want you to use this one now. Sometimes he'll call us to fasting, and it's one of the tools in our toolbox, not the only one. It's a means of drawing near to God. James tells us when we draw near to God, what happens? He draws near to us. It's a means of finding God in intimacy. It's a means of being able to just pour out your heart in a special way. Um, I'm not going to give you a lot of details and uh, ins and outs of how to fast. I brought along a couple books to talk about just to show you on fasting. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.13 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. And it doesn't say weapon, it says weapons. Fasting is not the only weapon. There are many other weapons. But when we use the, the tool of fasting, it can intensify our prayer, and it can be the weapon that the Holy Spirit chooses. If you've never fasted, it might be good to talk to the Lord about it. That's where fasting starts, talking to Him. And let Him put that burden on your heart. He may ask you to just start to fast, Fast for one meal a day, start simple, something like that, just to learn to fast. So if you want some help on that, here's a book called God's Chosen Fast. You can put that slide up, yeah. It's a spiritual and practical guide to fasting. He's got a couple chapters in the end of this that talk about how to get started fasting, how to go on if you're going on to longer fast, how to prepare for the fast, how to end up afterwards, things like that. There's some practical stuff in here as well as going over so much more that I don't have time to talk about today on fasting. The second book is by John Piper. It's called A Hunger for God, and the subtitle is Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer. This gets down to that intimacy part, and I love to have the book. I don't know if you can find it online and read it online or not, but you can get the book. Uh, I put some papers up here to give you this so you don't have to write it down or pull it back up. They give you these two books, and I put down Abe books. You can look on Abe books, find them used for about $5, shipping included, each, about $5 each. Simple enough. I love to take a book and read it and underline it, and then I can go back to it any time I'll just read one to you. It forces me to ask repeatedly, do I really hunger for God? Do I miss Him? Do I long for Him? It gets us into what other people have found in fasting. It helps us to to draw near to God by meditating on some of the things that others have meditated on. I love to do that in books. It's like what others have already meditated on, they're coming and they're talking to me and sharing with me. They can do that in a book. So the little papers are here. I recommend that you go ahead and get one or both of these books. And uh, I'll give you one more example of what happened to us with fasting before we close. Um, We had a time, we were in the northern part of Senegal. We had about eight or 10 people on our team. And we would get together once a month and have a prayer time together. And the day came for our day of prayer, and Peter and Thelma didn't come. They lived about 60 kilometers, what's that, 
45 miles up the river valley. But she sent a note down on the taxi. This is days before we had phones and all this kind of stuff way back. <laughs> she sent a note down saying Peter's sick. He's really sick. Then we got another note came down later. I'm afraid Peter's going to die. That's when we decided as a team it was time to fast and pray. We began fasting and praying, and within about three days, I think it was, the message came down, Peter's better. Everything is gone. We thought he was at death's door. Peter was 70 years old, and he was working on translation. He was trying to finish that translation while he still had some breath left in his lungs. We thought it was all over. When we fasted and prayed, God broke through and raised Peter back up. I could give you other examples. There are other things like that. Times where God gave us guidance. Times where, I guess we all get into that, don't we? We get that time where we feel kind of distant from God. We feel like, what am I doing wrong? Sometimes that's the time where a fast can draw our hearts back closer to the Lord. All of these kind of things are waiting there for us, waiting for us to tap into. And here we are in America. Sometimes we don't even know what fasting is. We don't practice it. It should be one of those tools in our toolbox. Plan, ask God to teach you how to put that tool in your toolbox so that when he calls for it, when you need it, when you need to add that exclamation point at the end of your prayer, when you need to put that oh in front of your prayer and say, oh God, I need you. Oftentimes, that's when he'll call for fasting. And you know what? After you fast a little bit, it really isn't that uncomfortable. It isn't that difficult. God makes it a joy because of what you get out of it. I had one example when I was in Canada. I wasn't going to say this, so I haven't thought this through. Where I was fasting, and one of the ladies in the church came to me and said, in the school here, we have a teacher who's not doing his job. He just, and I'm concerned about what's happening with the kids and things that are going on. Will you pray with me? I said, okay, I'll pray with you. And we began to pray. A few days later, she called and she said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He turned in his resignation. He had tenure and everything. And he turned in his resignation and he's leaving like in two weeks. God tends to do the impossible, do the miracles. Now, it's not a surefire thing. There, I can tell you about times we fasted and prayed, and God answered in a totally different way. And a lot of times it's for us to draw us closer to him and draw us in. And he changes our thoughts and changes our desires so that the thing we thought we were praying for is not what he gives us. He gives us those good gifts that passage on the Father giving good gifts is tied in in Luke 11. Another time when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he went through a kind of an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. And after he went through it, down at the bottom of that text, he's talking about how a good father knows how to give good gifts to his children. When we fast and when we pray, he will give us the good gifts, the good gifts. Jesus said here in our text today, when you fast, when you do it the right way with your heart, 
as well as your actions, he will reward us. I love his rewards. His rewards are so much better than the ones that we find all around us and the desires of our hearts so often fall by the wayside when we see his rewards and realize the things that he gives us in response to our drawing near to him. I'm going to close by reading a little poem that's found at the end of this book. I think it really kind of puts things into perspective. The first verse goes, On Sinai's mount with radiant face to intercede for heaven's grace upon a stubborn, wayward race. He fasted. Do you know who it was? That would be Moses. The next one, once lifted from the miry clay, when opposition came his way, this soldier king would often pray with fasting. David, King David. A seer possessed of vision keen, who told the troubled king his dream had light on God's prophetic scheme through fasting. That one's Daniel. The prophetess in temple court beheld the babe the two had brought, for him she long had prayed and sought with fasting, through fasting. He came, that was uh, Anna, by the way. Anna was the prophetess that was waiting for Christ's return, or for Christ to, to come, for the Messiah. He came to break the yoke of sin, but ere his mission could begin, he met the foe and conquered him with fasting. Our Lord Jesus Christ fasted at the beginning of his ministry. Set these apart, the Spirit bade, a spring that soon vast rivers made, broke ope, or open, by men who as they prayed were fasting. The one we looked at, the disciples in Antioch. So shall they fast when I am gone. Was this no word to act upon? Ask countless saints who fought and won with fasting. When you go into fasting, you're coming into a company, a tremendous company to be a part of. Those who have fasted, you find them in the Bible. Those since then, you find them in Fox's Books of Martyrs. Those that are having it today, you find them in the things coming out on the internet that are going on in the persecuted church. And we find that fasting is often where they go to find the power in the middle of the fire. And he closes by saying, what shall we, when we shall stand on that great day and give account, what shall we say if he should ask us, did you pray with fasting? Lord, we're all in different places on this. I don't know where anybody is. I don't want to know. I don't need to know, but you know. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us that this is one of the tools that you've given us. Teach us how to pray, Lord. And as we learn how to pray, teach us to fast. Teach us to fast and pray that we may get to know you and know you with all of our hearts, Lord. Draw us into that place where we will be willing to set aside our daily bread and say, I need the bread of life. I need you, Jesus. I need you. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to fast so that we may Look forward, as you said, longing for your return. We're longing, Lord, for that chapter 6 of the epic story. We're longing for that time when we'll be together with you forevermore. We have the opportunity now, Lord, 
Help us not to forget, overlook this tool that you've given us, but to use it for your glory. Amen.